Welcome to Solutions, where listening will leave you inspired by solutions to issues you or others you know may be struggling with in the public education system today. Hello, I'm Olivia Wall, and I am excited to introduce you to my friend and guest, Mary Ann Camel. Mary Ann graduated from Cornell University with a bachelor's degree in human development and family studies. She completed her master's degree at NYU in early childhood education. Marianne has over 20 years of teaching experience. She has primarily taught kindergarten, but also has taught third and fifth grade. I had the gift as a mom to have my son Henry in Marianne's class in 2017 to 18. She left an imprint on him around play and stamina that shaped who he is today as a fourth grader. So welcome, Marianne. I'm so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I know that from being a volunteer in your classroom that you start each day with play. It really encompasses everything you do in the classroom, that notion of inquiry-based learning as a kindergarten teacher. And before we jump into that, I love to ask every guest, who is an inspiring teacher in your world that comes to mind? Probably I would have to say my mom, (laughs) the first teacher, right? She was really good at setting broad boundaries, but letting me kind of approach things my way, make my own mistakes, be dirty, be curious, be outside, all those things. She would even let me draw on the basement walls, things like that, just to explore my creative side. Which is so much of what play and inquiry are about, right? Curiosity and exploration. I think, too, right now, play is not valued the way it should be. And again, you not only prioritize play, but you kick off each day with play. Your work, the way Henry's Day was structured in your classroom, I tried to capture that in an article, why every kindergarten and first grade school day should begin with inquiry and imaginative play because it sets the tone for the day. It's not a carrot that's dangled over a child, something to be lost. So I'd love for you to speak more about that. Why do you choose to begin every day with play? Well, first, I want kids to be happy to come in the morning. Mornings can be hard for a lot of kids. It's a huge transition, especially in kindergarten, leaving grownups and safe places to come to a new new environment. And I want kids to always feel like there's something in their day that brought them joy, and that they can find success in. And play is is it for kids, really, right? When they explore the world, they make mistakes, they fix mistakes, um, and that actually brings them joy and independence. And I think that's the goal of kindergarten is really to teach independence. And play is something that kids naturally migrate towards, and then we can support them in becoming increasingly independent through play. So help us envision children are walking into your classroom, 8 a.m., probably 7.45-ish, a little early. How do you set them up for success to jump right into it? Well, once they settle in, they'll then, you know, hang up the belongings, check in with me, do a quick morning message so they have some idea of what's happening early in the day. Pre-COVID, I would have different bins of activities just sitting on the tables, and they could just find one that met their need at the moment. During COVID, I have smaller bins that they can select and take to their individual desks. They begin playing while kids kind of float in because it's a it's really a 25-minute transition from the time the door opens and the first kid comes in and the time the last student 
gets in. So that's 25 minutes of what I would call sponging, like soaking them in. Mm -hmm. And then they're engaged. And that gives me time to also check in with kids who are maybe having a trickier transition. Um, So that's the beginning of of just kind of the soft play, I'd say, really predictable. And then we just pause and have our morning meeting and then move into more of the larger areas of play, like big blocks of dramatic play, carpet. (laughs) So how do the kids after morning meeting select where they're going to go? I have one small group that's working with me first, so they don't get their initial choice, but they have the pleasure of knowing I will not interrupt them (laughs) to pull them later. So that's the advantage of going first. And then the other students, it's really randomized. We pull fairness sticks out of a cup and ask them to go make a choice. At the beginning year, it's totally choice-based. Usually mid-year, I start to encourage more traditional academic choices as a, some, as a way of moving through all the areas. Do your, your math choice first, and then the other kind of math-based play activities are now available just to kind of bring some balance. The whole shows they're ready to kind of do that first then idea. Would you name some of the different options that they can choose from? Sure. We always have snack. (laughs) And then there's an art activity. So that could be really just kind of open-ended. I might just put paper out with either markers or gel pens or watercolors, different materials. Or it could be something that's kind of anchored in a text that's used collage. Um, And then I give them a chance to try it on their own. We have books always available so they could go to the library and explore the books in the classroom and we have dramatic play which usually rotates something new comes in about every four to six weeks there are certain ones I seem to always do I start the school year kind of just with that kitchen area something that a lot of students have seen if they've been in a preschool setting and then it will change Sometimes it's a campsite, sometimes it's a post office, a vet clinic. Towards the um, spring, I usually start to ask them to influence what they might want in that area. And if I can figure out or we can figure out together a way to make it happen, we transform it into their ideas. Big blocks all year long, lots of building. And then there's the one that is kind of the wild card choice. So... This year I'm doing whoever the helper is gets to choose from any of the toys that are on the toy shelves. They could choose magnet tiles or they could choose cars and roads or the train set. And on Friday, since my my at-home children are getting bigger and they don't use their great toys as much, I've been bringing in <laughs> the, the toys from home oh, that don't so fun. live on our toy shelf. And then on Friday, we, we get a little fun, something that hadn't been on the shelf. So it's a bit of a surprise. It's interesting to hear that some centers stay or choices stay all year and evolve with the kids and then others do rotate. I know one of the hardest things to nurture independence is setting clear expectations. What does this look like? What does this feel like? And I want listeners to understand that you don't just send the kids off into the vet center. You have ways of coaching the children around what it looks and feels like. Can you speak to that? Yeah, it's something I learned through responsive classroom. It's making a T-chart with what does it look like and sound like when we are using any given space. So the library has a set that stays there all year because it doesn't really change. But dramatic play, since it's a rotating area, we will brainstorm together. Given the materials we see and how the space is set up, 
what do we think it should look like when we're near this area? So for example, with the vet clinic, we would talk about being gentle with our stuffies or making sure we, we put the medicine cups away when we're done. If we notice something is on the floor, we pick it up immediately because it's a vet clinic. We're here to make sure these, these stuffies stay healthy. And then what does it sound like often would... It, the sound like actually ends up kind of translating through all areas, right? It's how yes. we interact with one another, right? Use our manners, ask in a calm voice, um, those kinds of things always end up popping up repeatedly, which is good because that's the end game of kindergarten is to communicate uh, <laughs> your thoughts and feelings in a way that can be received. I think of the block area that you were very smart to put the area in the classroom along, I think it was a radiator. And so there was a magnetic option available. And I remember you would have illustrations or photos of a variety of buildings and some questions to spark children's curiosity. Do you still have that? What What are those questions? I do. So I'm in a different space. So it's no longer by the magnetic. Darn. Either. But I do have um, I do have the pictures. I put them in dollar store frames. Oh, I just pop great idea. out and laminated pictures in dollar store frames are beautiful. Some of the prompts would be like, I can build a bridge or I can build a building with 10 blocks, say the beginning of the year when we're working on counting 10, I could build a building with 20 blocks up to 100. I can build a building that has cylinders. So we're working on geometric shapes. I can build buildings with windows, which is challenging for kids to think about yes. negative space. I can build a two-story building or a three-story building. All those kinds of learning targets that encourages them to try something okay. a little different. If they haven't already observed a peer do it, oftentimes if they're building with a, a peer and the peer tries something, then it kind of catches like wildfire. Yes. You know? try on different things. So I usually pull those learning targets out when I see that blocks has kind of gone stale for a little while. The, the nature of the buildings are sort of either built just piles of blocks, which often is an indicator they need a little yeah. more direction, or the buildings are sort of the same thing. I did hear you mention snack was also part of this. How do you manage snack when you're either one-on-one -on -one with a child or in a small group? What does that look like? Right. Well, pre-COVID, we I would look more communal. We would have whatever the food choices that we decided we're going to go out for the day would be there in bulk with a numbered card. And students would know, oh, it's one bag or two scoops, that sort of thing. And so it was honor system that they would read the card and take what they needed and then go to the snack table. Due to COVID, now we've kind of pre-packaged their snacks. So it isn't quite as interactive. But the expectation is that they have to monitor their need for food. They go and they get their coffee filter full of whatever today's snack is and return it to their desk to eat it. It's interesting because monitoring their need for food was is really tricky this year. It's not something that I've experienced mm. in the past. I hear, I forgot to get snack or I didn't get snack. And so I'm giving reminders towards yes. the end of our choice time to check with your belly because we'll be cleaning up in 10 minutes. You can get your snack. If you aren't really hungry and you don't want to eat it, that's okay. Set it on your desk and we can have it when we get back from special. But a little bit of self-care and, and it's hard for some five-year-olds to monitor. Their it is. 
being able to spend a year in your classroom learning from you. I watched you with children and the way that you coached into play without solving problems for the children and elicited conversation. Could you speak to some resources that you could offer for listeners? A lot of what I've learned was through Responsive Classroom. When I first joined, it was a big resource for newer teachers in the district. And the idea of open-ended questioning or certain sentence starters like show me or I notice, those kinds of just general two-word sentence starters can open up the world of discussion that keeps kids feeling really safe, that there is no judgment here. I'm just trying to understand So I think that training and and time with that, I think I did it for two years at the beginning of my tenure at ICSD. When you're working with children, you're right down at their level. I remembered once I came late into your classroom and I couldn't find you because you were mixed right in with the students. Just getting down to see the world at their angle, their lens, it's so important for our children to have that. I also watched as there were two children that wanted to go to the same area and there wasn't enough space. Could you speak to listeners of how you navigate that with children, the coaching around not getting your way always? I know. <laughs> it's a hard <laughs> pill to swallow. So part of oh, it is it trying is. to understand another person's perspective. I mean, really, it comes down to that. So I want to give kids you know, options. You could say, I'd like a turn. Can you let me know when you're finished? That's one way of letting a person know that you'd like to play in that area and you realize... Only two people can be there right now. Another would be we have um, sand timers in our classroom and you can bring them over and say, do you need three more minutes or five more minutes before I get to have a turn? And then the person who's having a turn can can choose and then it's honored. Then another conversation would be, what, how many times have you been here today? Because some kids will pop in and out a few times and that can be hard for a student who hasn't had a turn at all. We, we practice it. almost the script in many ways, right? Oh, well, I haven't had a turn yet, and I'm noticing this is your second go. And then we talk about how it feels when someone's got two and you have zero. And most kindergartners yeah. are like, yeah, that's not fair. And they will just graciously say, okay, well, let me know if you finish early and then I'll come back kind of thing. So a lot of practice yeah. and discussion around the feelings that we have when we're trying to be patient for a turn or the feelings we have when... We would really like to stay longer, but we know the right thing to do is give another person a chance to use the area. I know that you carve a good hour and 15 minutes for play at the beginning of the day. And often when I speak of you to other kindergarten, first, even second, third, fourth, fifth grade teachers about how you begin the day, it's gobsmacking to them the amount of time that you dedicate to play and inquiry every morning and trying to figure out how to, quote unquote, fit everything in. There is a schedule based on your classroom in the article. I'll share that in the show notes. What I watched at the end of play that I'm sure has had to be altered since, when you're rapping, you use a transitional bridge to get kids to move from play and inquiry into whatever you're moving into. And I watched you didn't have children at that time clean up their own area they brought them back and then sent them back out into the world. Can you speak more to that and then where that's gone since? So that bringing them back into a circle is the cornerstone of my behavior management in my classroom. Like we're a community, we're together, we're in it. We're going to work together. So 
during play, there are a lot of independent choices going on. And so I bring them back together so that we are cleaning as a community and that we all use the space and we all want the space to be usable. So even if you hadn't played, say, in the block area and there are blocks to be picked up, there's a chance that I might ask you to pick them up and someone else will clean up the area that you had been working in. I think the idea in, in my heart is that I want them to realize if they see something that's out that needs to be picked up, it doesn't matter if they used it or not. It still needs to be picked up and we should pick it up. Yes. Just like if I'm walking on the street and I see there's a soda bottle on the sidewalk, instead of walking past it, I'll pick it up and put it in the trash, right? It's care for yes. the environment. And I think it, it also will spread into caring for others in many ways too, right? Sadly, I agree. COVID yeah. makes that challenging as we have to keep certain distances. I've had to drop that a little because many of them are at individual seats. They have to clean their area. Yeah. But the kids who are in the more communal spaces will, with a partner will clean those areas. And then if some of the job feels big, early finishers can, can kind of help out. But I do like the idea of always coming together, recentering. It's also a lot of times I'm noticing this year, it's trickier for kids to transition. Environmental shifts, right? Help the transition. If it's not right in front of you, it's easier to say, okay, I can now move on. When it's right in front of you, sometimes it can be hard to stop. So it just sort of smooths that yes. transition out. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share about play and inquiry and starting your student's day off with that as a priority. I'm hoping listeners got great ideas to get this going and start. And I definitely want to continue the dialogue. I'm hoping you may be willing to listeners reaching out to you, perhaps. You're brilliant. And I have seen Henry develop into a fourth grader that has endless amounts of stamina and stick to itness mm -hmm. because of the play opportunities he had in your kindergarten class. This has a ripple effect that goes so far reaching. Thank you as a mom. Thank you for what you do for our children, how you advocate for play and inquiry. Thank you for the wonderful <laughs> report. Uh, you're very welcome. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you.